This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Jay Klaus. Jay, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Hey, I, I, uh, I want to give just a real short background on how I met Jay. I, when my newest role at my day job is is a product management team leader, and I Googled product manager because I really didn't understand what it was. I was the, the leader of the team, but I really didn't understand what that was. So. Jay's video on explaining what product management was was the first video I watched. So he he is my intro, my foray into product management. So Jay, thanks for leading me in the valley there. That's amazing. <laughs> that video, I'll tell you, that video has done magical things for me, and it was a complete accident. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you just put things out there, and and uh, you never know where the where the path's going to lead. So give us a little background. Who is Jay Klaus? Yeah. Well, I was born and raised in Ohio. Still live in Ohio today. I mm -hmm. live in Columbus. Big Michigan fan. Oh boy, it's all right. <laughs> he just turned off the microphone, guys. This yeah, this early on, and we're gonna go there. Born and raised in Ohio. Went to Ohio State. I am a Buckeye, um, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was at at Ohio State. And I started first undecided. Then I moved into journalism because I knew I liked to write, and mm -hmm. I had this amazing advisor who told me to check out a, an independent study with the lantern which is a student newspaper mm -hmm. so i did that for a little over a year and i got to cover the football team which was awesome wow super great experience but at the same time i was discovering the entrepreneurship organization at ohio state which was called the business builders club okay and after i after i found that club and i saw people my age building businesses and creating things that made them money and they were doing that without anybody's permission, it was a fundamental shift in my worldview. Like it broke what I understood about the world. So I pivoted pretty hard and was like, okay, I'm not gonna do journalism, I'm going to do startups, I'm going to do business, I'm going to get into entrepreneurship. And so that was really my start. I got really involved with Startup Weekend events here mm -hmm. locally, right? both as an attendee, but then as an organizer. I've been organizing that here locally for close to six years now. Mm -hmm. And I interned at a couple of startups. And out of college, I started this ticketing marketplace called Tixers with a partner in Cincinnati. Actually, he started it. I joined on super, super early. But it was just the two of us building this digital ticket marketplace that was a lot like StubHub. Right. And it Without went really well. Glitches. <laughs> we had our we had our glitches. Oh, you had your own, yeah. Trust me. We yeah, we had some glitches. But it went really well. We we went through an accelerator in Covington, Kentucky, and we raised a seed round of funding. Mm -hmm. And in 2015, we were acquired. So we worked for the acquiring company for a year, and then we left. That was pretty much my trial by fire education in product management because right. I was working with the engineers, and I was defining the product to be built and really laying out the specifications of how to do that. I didn't realize I was doing product management exactly. at the time, yeah. but I was. I think most of us realize that. I think we don't realize we're actually doing it. Yeah. Well, product management is still like a new term for the mm. discipline. You know, right? Entre entrepreneurship, running a company, those things are product management. But mm -hmm. you know, now now it's a discipline within companies and it has more structure around it. But it's still really really new. When I went to Crosschecks, which is a healthcare company here in Columbus, after after Tixers had fully resolved, I had more of a formal role as a product manager there. And that's that really formalized my education around that. Did that for a year, left about 
14 months ago, and now I'm doing my own business called Unreal Collective. And I work with founders and freelancers. It's about a 50-50 split. And uh, it's a little bit like a virtual accelerator. I think of it as a community, but the flagship product is a 12-week online accelerator Mm -hmm. to help those founders and freelancers reach their next milestone, whatever that may be for them. We predefine a three-month goal, and then we create a roadmap for getting there. And we meet every week to, to get our way from point A to point B. And it's all, it's all mostly online or, I mean, if there are people in Columbus, you might meet with them face to face, but majority of this is on online, correct? That's correct. We have about a little under two thirds of people are here in Columbus, Mm -hmm. but we have, we have someone in Alaska, we have someone in Florida and a lot of places in between. So it's, uh, it's predominantly online. We meet every week online, even if they are local, anything that we do here locally, we do outside of the regular Mm -hmm. programming. One thing you mentioned that was that was interesting in the very, very intro after my nasty Michigan comment was uh, about the idea of shifting or transitioning or pivoting, as as Seth Godin would say, from from English to entrepreneurship. That's a pretty big shift. So is there something you can pinpoint that said, hey, that this is what caused me to go to the the young entrepreneurs, you know, group at Ohio State or something? And was there some trigger that you can put your hand on or put your finger on? Definitely. So. When I was in journalism, and this was as early as my freshman year, I was really lucky to construct a schedule for myself that I didn't have classes on Thursdays or Fridays. And so my weekend started on Wednesday night. That is creative. Which is crazy. And I lived in an honors dorm, and there are only two other guys who would put up with me not working on (laughs) Thursdays and Fridays. And so I went and hung out with them a lot, and they had started businesses in high school. And that's how they found the Business Builders Club and they pointed me that direction. I had some app idea, which was not a good idea. And I applied for a pitch competition with that club and I got accepted into the competition. I didn't do very well, but I saw, like I said, all those people my age pitching these businesses that they had built. And I thought, well, I could continue to write about people doing cool things Mm -hmm. or I could go do some cool things, Yeah, (laughs) which is not a knock on journalists in any way, but... That wasn't that wasn't what I wanted to do. And at the same time, I was covering the Ohio State football team at the end of my freshman year, or the beginning of my sophomore year. And that was just because the faculty advisor really respected the body of work that I had done and the quality of work that I had done. Mm-hmm. And so he signed me into like the senior level classes to be able to do that. And I'm looking around this room at the people who are covering the Ohio State Buckeyes. And I'm the youngest one by decades. Yeah. And I realized after I graduate. I'm going to have to work 20, 30 years at some small town paper covering high school girls volleyball to get the chance to cover another Buckeye game because the sports editor got sick or something, you know? So it was, it was like, ah, I've kind of reached (laughs) what I want to be doing here. Um, it it wasn't exciting to me. Mm -hmm. So entrepreneurship was this sort of blue ocean new right. new thing to me and i said i think i want to go play over there man you you pulled that one out of the wayback machine that the blue ocean that's a that's a throw it's like almost an 80s throwback hmm. there so the blue ocean strategy so so yeah i mean i can i can see that my wife was actually a sports editor when we first got married and she first finished her her undergraduate degree and and you're exactly right there were there were a lot of high school games that she was covering on a Thursday night late and, mm-hmm. and to ever get to the level of covering major college sports or pro sports. I mean, it was, you're right. They, this, the age demographic of that, of that group of, of writers yeah. was, was, you know, 
And very, frankly, very high. the expectations of journalists now for major publications and the, mm-hmm. the ones that really get trusted and have the chance to do marquee events like that, the expectations of turnaround time and yep. pure volume of stories you have to write is crazy. Yep. Like they, that is a undervalued position. Right. And I would say I'm just getting started in my career. I don't know if I want want to start in this industry that's showing that it's going to undervalue the uh, the employees, yep. the constituents. And I, you really are a commodity. There's there's absolutely no doubt. And the the pay scale was is very low for for entry level journalists. So. So who was the uh, who were some of the key players that were that were at Ohio State when you were there? Was that the Maurice Claret area? Was that oh oh the football players? Yeah, it was no, it was a very fun time. It was right in the transition of Jim Ur- Tressel leaving. There. Jim Tressel leaving the year that I covered the team was Luke Luke Fickle's one year as a head coach. Wow! And so we had like part of the reason I was covering the football team is because I would just hang out in the newsroom as it was called. Mm-hmm. And we would get tips called in and our faculty advisor would come in and say, someone's got to chase down this lead. And so that was when Terrell Pryor was on campus yeah. and he was driving around campus on a, in a Nissan 350Z. So he was like, someone's got to call Terrell Pryor's lawyer and ask him where he got money for a Nissan 350Z. <laughs> so I'm calling Terrell Pryor's lawyer. Uh, it was, it was a fun time. It was not a great year for Ohio state football. I think they went like six and six that mm-hmm. year or something, but it was, yeah, it was that weird transitional time. So pre-urban. Pre-urban, yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, tell me a little bit more. I I, uh, I could chase these these uh, proverbial rabbits all day long because I <laughs> you you keep piquing my interest with with uh, the things you, you're mentioning. But give me a, let's let's drill down a little bit on the Unreal Collective. I mean, from what I know about it, it's you know you said it's a kind of a twelve week kind of an accelerator. Is it is it uh, a space that has like do you have venture capital? Do you have coaching, mentoring, collaboration, collaborative space, creative space? What? How would you unpack that? What is what does the Unreal Collective look like? In case you know our listeners might be, see this as a good fit. What I identified when I started Unreal was that I had community in my life that a lot of people didn't have, mm-hmm. and that community was the driving force behind a lot of my success. You know, I'm constantly surrounding myself with other entrepreneurs, artists, creatives, and because of that. I learn a ton and I apply it to my work. Mm -hmm. And not only do I learn from them, but I have access to incredible groups of people through them. You know, I, their network is my network. It's hard to, to, uh, duplicate, replicate. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I think I can create that for people. If people are looking for that, if people are looking to learn from other people like them, other entrepreneurs, other creatives, and really level up their businesses because that's what I saw happen for me. Mm-hmm. I think I can be a lightning rod for that type of person and I can put those groups together. And so I tested that. I said, okay, I'm going to go find five people who are on their own entrepreneurial journeys and I'm going to ask them to meet with me every week for 12 weeks. I'm going to help them create a roadmap and a 12 week goal. We're going to see how it goes. And it went really well. So I said, okay, I think there's something here. I made some changes, you know, but to me, that's Unreal the whole is all discovery about, process, you know, the testing, yeah. the hypothesis, and yeah. Right. To me, Unreal is all about community. The flagship product is this 12-week program where I put you in a group of five, and we meet every week, and we work towards this goal. But first and foremost, it's about community. It's about accountability. It's about uh, outside perspective. It's about getting feedback. It's about supporting each other because mm-hmm. doing this, even if you know technically what you need to do, is a difficult journey, and you need emotional support. Right. And, um, and discipline, you know, and the discipline, discipline of, of stick, sticking with it. Yeah. 
Right. So there will be some things that are added on to Unreal Collective, the business that are outside of that accelerator. Right now I'm working on what I call guides. These, mm-hmm. these, you know, what could be video based, probably will be video based, but also workbook based processes for how to do things like here's how you create a WordPress website using right. this theme that is way more flexible than a Squarespace, but just right. as easy to edit once you know how to do it. Um, I have a course on product management, a couple courses on product management I want to put in there. Mm-hmm. Then outside of that, there's a community membership that I'm building, which doesn't guarantee my time on a weekly basis, but it gives you access to the other people in the community. It gives you access exactly. to the resources I've accumulated for the community. Those are things I'm building around Unreal right now, but everything is driven by peer-led mentorship, peer-led, you know, sort of education. Are you doing the community through like a social media outlet or are you doing it based on your own website? I mean, how, what's the, what's kind of the back end of the community? Is it Facebook group? Is it a, you know, how, how would you, how would you, unless it's collate this or great question together, curate it, I guess it's a better, I would love for there to be a better tool for this, Mm -hmm. frankly. I am completely morally opposed to using a private Facebook group for something that is bent on productivity. So we use Slack. We use Mm -hmm. Slack right now. And I think Slack will continue to be effective, but only if I keep that Slack sub 200 people, maybe even sub 100 people. Yeah. And I'm going to do that. But that's, that's where a lot of the communication happens. Obviously when we do our video calls, we had predominantly used Google Hangouts, but we're going to move to Zoom this next time around. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty much the stack. We have we have a WordPress website that has resources in it and kind of a membership area. But all the communication happens through Slack. Okay. Is there, I mean, are, are you envisioning, um, like you have this kind of the, the first 12-week, you know, group that starts a cohort of, of your Unreal Collective. What's the next step after that? Is it is it simply membership in the community or is there like a Unreal Collective 2.0, you know, is there a... Part B, yeah. is there C? What are, what do you envision? Yeah, another that? great question and something that I've wrestled with. So it's still this early last though. time. Yeah. Well, this last time, I think there's been we had a big improvement. We just wrapped up a class last Monday. And at the end of it, we had a showcase. And in that showcase, um, each individual in all three groups was on the call and they shared what they learned about, you know, how they work. They shared the wins that they had in the last 12 weeks, mm-hmm. and they shared what their plan is moving forward. Right. So, you know, those teams can continue to meet at the same time using the same video link just without me. That's right. something they can definitely do, and I, I encourage that. But what I did was send them this workbook that I put together to help them think through and kind of cement, solidify the learnings that they had so mm-hmm. that they can use those lessons to move forward at the same speed without me. Now we, they stay as part of the community. You know, we, we communicate regularly every Friday. We, we share our wins that we had that week. We have a feedback channel that people post in frequently to ask for help. Uh, we have an asks channel that people post in to ask for help. But moving forward, we also have a standing monthly hangout, Mm -hmm. which is open to, there are 35 current members of Unreal. It's open to all those 35 members to come on and say, okay, month to month, if you want to come on and get some feedback, catch up with, with your friends and have some FaceTime. We'll host this call for an hour and a half, come hang out. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. The first one of those is actually this upcoming week. So we'll see uh, see what that looks like. But, you know, I want to continue to support people. But what I found about mastermind groups, which is, is akin to a mastermind group, sure. 
if there isn't someone that's sort of ultimately the one accountable for getting people there, it falls apart pretty right. quickly. Right. And that's a big responsibility for that person. And that's kind of what I'm promising through the 12 week program is right. that I'm going to be that person. I'm going to mm-hmm. create this, this structure that is consistent and very helpful for you. Mm-hmm. And now I'm extending that to say, this is what the monthly hangout looks like. I'll, I'll continue to organize this on an open format once a month for members. And, um, you know, I, I have high hopes for that. I think that right. will be well received. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate your humility. This is kind of the second time that you've, you've triggered this in my mind. I mean, the first one was when you talked about the like the startup weekends. I mean, I was reading just a little bit uh, before our call. You mentioned, yeah, I host a couple of these locally. You also host these in different parts of the country, too. So it's it's a much broader. I mean, you have a you have much more of a leading role in these startup weekends um, than, than I think you let us let us know. That, and I appreciate your humility. But the second is, it's almost like you say, well, you know, I'm kind of the facilitator of the call and I'm the one responsible for it. But you bring so much to the table of just life experience too. that, that it's, uh, I mean, it is really a coaching opportunity too. It's not just a facilitator of a meeting. It's, it's really, you know, as, as people bring issues to the table, you can speak into those from your own experience. I mean, how many life coaches out there do you, have you seen that are 24 years old that I'm going, <laughs> you haven't experienced enough of life to be a life coach. Yeah. 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 You know, so, I mean, I, I do appreciate your, I mean, I, but I think you're, you're somewhat understating some of the, some of the things that, uh, that, yeah, well, uh, I, I, I appreciate I, what you're saying. Um, you know, we go on, we have these calls, and there are a lot of things that I do have a lot of opinions on. But I also realize that there are, besides the person speaking, four other people outside of myself yeah. who also have a lot of experience. Yeah. And so my role in those calls predominantly is to help kind of quarterback that conversation mm-hmm. based on I know every one of those individuals more than those individuals know each other. So I can help quarterback that conversation and pull out things. And a lot of the members of Unreal, they do pick this sort of second tier package, which has some one-on-one time with me. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'd much rather save my comments for that one-on-one time yeah. and let them yeah. get as much insight from the rest of the group as possible. I have a mentor who is a chair of an organization called Vistage and he's local. Vistage is a global organization of executive coaches mm-hmm. and they work with CEOs, uh, founders of companies that are doing millions of dollars a year. And I asked him how he knows if he's doing a good job And he said that his best meetings are the ones where he says, okay, let's get started. Time for lunch. I'll see you next month. And that's all he says. You know, he's, he's just trying to facilitate those conversations because he's saying this doesn't come from me. He, he also, he also said, he said, I, I will meet with any member of my, of my organization at any time that they want. But I suggested them that we don't because it's not about what I know. It's about what the people in that room know and Mm -hmm. pulling that out. So I've taken a lot of inspiration from that. From that, I don't quite get all the way to that end of the spectrum sure. that he touches on. And part of that is probably ego, and part of that is, you know, I feel like I can add. I feel like I can mm-hmm. contribute, and it's a hard line to tell. But I do appreciate you saying that. Well, and I, I think somewhat. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a fine line between humility and almost like being self-deprecating. I mean, it's like people are coming to this Unreal Collective not just to hear themselves speak and just to bounce ideas off of people. They're also coming because you are you are kind of, you know, bringing this group together. And they've done research on you and they've they've looked at your at the you know your your emails that you send out and the blog that you do and and other things that you've done up to this point and videos that are online. And so there's a certain 
there's a there's a pull that that comes as, with this as well. So, do you also offer like one on one coaching or you know as a, a kind of an after or follow up to the Unreal Collective or is that that's something that you're kind of working through as well or I have I have offered one on one coaching and as as members go through the 12 weeks if they want one on one coaching I'll add that as part of the package okay if they're not a member of Unreal I try not to do it that route mm-hmm. simply because I want to invest in people who are investing in the community essentially that's good and so that's I would good, I would prefer word. to work with folks who are going through that route and it kind of deepens our connection where I feel like I can be more effective mm-hmm. and um, people that I know really well. And obviously if I, if I offered one-on-one coaching outside of that, I would get to know that person. Sure. sure. But I'm trying to get to a point where, you know, coaching in a, in a sense is freelancing, right? As far as the, the, de- the Seth Godin definition or separation of freelancing and entrepreneurs being, if you're, you're, if you're only getting paid for the time that you're putting in, if you're not working, you're not making money, that's freelancing. You know, so I'm trying to get to a point where I'm creating something that creates value when I'm not directly behind the controls. Mm-hmm. And coaching would be a means to that end, but by definition, it is not that type of activity. Right, right. That makes sense. And it's it's it is hard to scale coaching when when you're the only only outlet. So yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, before we got online or before we turned the recorder on here, I, I, uh, warned you that I may chase rabbits and I, I mean, I, I've got my list of questions that I'd normally go through, but I said, I, I did pre-warn him that I said, I know you're going to offer things that are, that are going to be so interesting to our listeners that I probably will just give you space to expand on those. But you touched on something, um, a little bit in your bio that said, you know, I was working for this company, um, Please remind me that the kind of med company you were working for right before you kind of went on your own. You were the product. Crosschecks. So, so from walk us through the journey in your mind and in your heart from going from the product manager of Crosschecks to saying I am stepping out on my own here because that's a that's a big leap and a lot of our listeners are probably contemplating something similar. And I would love to hear your just a kind of a quick synopsis of your journey there. I think to tell that story well, we actually have to go back. A little bit further mm-hmm. because first I was doing Tixers and to me that was very entrepreneurial right oh no doubt Te- yeah technically you know I was part owner and I was part employee but Alex and I Alex is the founder of Tixers we we had always basically considered me a co-founder of that company mm-hmm. I felt an immense amount of ownership over that and I felt an immense amount of my identity being wrapped up into that because I'm running a startup that's kind of sexy, or at least I thought it was. I'm the chief operating officer of this thing, which gives me a really nice title to put in an email signature, which gives me access to a lot of people. People still operate on heuristics, and they'll respond to things yep. based on where they're putting you into their invisible but still present hierarchy. Right. And so when, when we sold the company, and we worked at that company for a year, I always still referred to myself as the COO of Tixers as opposed to whatever my actual title was for one up sports, the company that bought us. And when it was time to leave, I had kind of an identity crisis because I knew that I didn't want to just start something for the sake of starting something. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly. I didn't have like some new big idea and I was tired. I was Mm -hmm. just sort of like really burned out. And so I I said to myself, I think I'm going to have to go take a role somewhere. And I spoke with a mentor of mine and he encouraged a similar thing. He said, look, you just had a win. Your sort of entrepreneurial resume is a thing people think about. Don't go 
follow this win to start something just because you wanted to continue to be a founder. Yeah. What if you went yeah. and learned from another founder here mm -hmm. locally? And there were only a couple of guys here in town that were playing the game at a level at the time that I wanted to learn from. Right. And Crosschecks was one of those companies. So I, I really kind of swallowed my pride and, and tried to get past this identity question. I said, okay, I'm going to go to Crosschecks. I'm going to do it for about a year, even when I started. And even when I told them that I was coming on, I said, I'm going to be here for about a year. And I wrote down a whole list. I have a notebook where I wrote down a list of things that I specifically wanted to learn at my time at that company. Mm -hmm. And it was broken down into six categories. One was leadership. One was operations. One was sales. One was the healthcare industry. There's some more, but there were like six categories. And each one of those categories had things in there that I wanted to learn. Like, how do sales cycles work in the healthcare industry? How do I effectively lead a team while also doing product? How do I, and how do I be, you know, hard yet firm or uh, soft yet firm in terms of leading people? Right. So, about you know nine months in, I was saying, okay, I'm coming up on the year mark. I was always checking against those goals, and I saw, okay, I've learned a lot of these. A lot of these that I haven't learned, I'm not going to be in a position to learn actually, mm -hmm. and. I started thinking, what am I going to do now? Because I thought it'd be smart to not just jump without a parachute to kind of start working on something while I was still there and roll off seamlessly into it right. from a cash flow perspective. Right. And so I started going down that path, but I actually jumped ship about a month earlier than I expected because the company was taking a, a new direction in terms of what they were working on for their main product. Mm-hmm. And so my products were going to basically be shelved. We had to get them in a position where they could be sustainable, but they're just going to be shelved. They're not going to be right. worked on. And my role is going to move to being a technical product manager for a new product they're building. And frankly, I just didn't have interest in starting over mm -hmm. again. Yep. And I knew I was going to be leaving in a month. So I told him, I said, hey, I can set my team up to finish things up on this side of things, but it's going to be better for you guys to bring in someone new to start this than for me to do it for a month and then have to reteach someone anyway. And so it kind of forced the decision quickly. I actually didn't think about it as much as I would have if it was a month later because it just, it was just like a clear, like literally that day we had an, we had an executive meeting and they said, this is what we're doing. And in my head I thought, Oh, it's time for me to go. Yeah. Really and it clear. wasn't out of like, it wasn't out of like rage or disappointment sure. or anything. It was just like, this is just very clear to me that mm -hmm. this is the time to go. Yeah. And so the next day I went in and I said, Bubba, um, I was a COO. I said, I really appreciate the opportunity you give me here, but I'm going to leave my seat at the table. And, um, yeah, that was it. And from there, you know, I had an idea for unreal and I thought I knew what the format was going to look like, but I hadn't started that test group yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I, my role was going to change immediately. I didn't even have to do like the two week thing. They paid me out two weeks notice, but, um, I just left the next day. <laughs> so like all of a sudden, my life is completely different. I don't have really any obligations or a fully fleshed out plan. It was wild. But right. to me, I always knew that I wanted to be autonomous again mm -hmm. and I wanted to have agency. And I just knew that my puzzle leaving Crosschecks was I need to have enough income to live. I want to have full control over who I work with and when. Mm -hmm. And I want to be location independent. And so I sort of just solved that puzzle with the format of Unreal. If we're going to look at it from a selfish side of things. Yeah. I, I, um, so pragmatically, let me ask you this question because I think this is a, this kind of a universal 
answer for a lot of our listeners that are that may be contemplating something like this. So I, I've heard so often people talk about, okay, I just need to, in essence, replicate my income with whatever this new thing is, fill in the blank. Well, the in my mind, there's two sides of that equation. There's the there's the salary side, but there's also the expense side. So if you review both of those, I mean, did you get to the point that you said, okay, here are my ex current expenses because I am I'm spending based on this earning level. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what can I cut in half over here? So it makes this transition a little smoother. And I think so often people make that leap and they think, okay, I'm making a hundred K in my current role. I've got my, my startups got to be making a hundred K or I can't live. And I'm thinking, well, mm -hmm. you didn't even look at this other side of the equation. Yeah. You know, so I'm not asking yeah. you to get into your finance. I'm just saying, you know, what, no, just give me just kind of the generic review process. I had no expectation that I was going to make what I was making at cross checks mm -hmm. when I left. I knew that I was going to be working more hours and making much less, especially to start. What I did look at was just my pure list of expenses, and I've maintained this for years. The first thing I did when I joined Tixers with Alex is I went down item by item in my bank account. What do I spend money on on a monthly basis? And so I have a very clear idea of what I spend money on on a, mm -hmm. week, on a monthly basis. And I can tell you right now, it's just sub $2,200. Mm -hmm. It's super cheap. I'm a single guy. I live in Columbus, Ohio. I've got a very low burn rate. And even that is probably a little inflated. I'm probably living a little bit above my means with that. So I could slash that if I needed to. Cut out all the Starbucks. I could cut out a little <laughs> bit of that. I, you know, I could, I could, I could get more groceries. I could uh, Uber less. Yeah. I could drink less. In a lot of ways, I've cut both of those things down. But I just knew this freedom is more important to me than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I want to create a sustainable future of my own design for myself now so that as I grow and evolve and as things like a family come into the picture, I don't have to change what I've designed for myself. Right. And so it started with just looking at my expenses and I knew exactly what those were. And um, then it was, okay, if those are my expenses, what is the annualized income I need to make provided for taxes? And how do I break that up into, you know, sessions of Unreal? Mm -hmm. um, and I knew that other streams of income would fall out of the sure. woodwork in, a, in different ways. And, you know, I really just kind of jumped into it. I looked at the math and I was like, okay, if I charge, if I charge this, which I think is fair, and I get this many people and I do it this many times a year, that'll work out. And from there, I know the number of people I need to bring in right. and I don't stop until I, you know, talk to enough people where I find enough good fits and I say, this will work for you. And they mm -hmm. say, okay, let's do it. <laughs> now, do these you know? overlap? Do, do, do your cohorts overlap? They probably will at some point, but they don't now. Mm -hmm. And it's because I'm still learning the process and I want to make sure everyone going through has an exceptional experience yeah, this early on. Good CX. And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm trying to not make anything more complicated than it has to be. And also, honestly, this, this is something that is such a high referral basis mm -hmm. and also testimonials and case studies go a long way here. Absolutely. So every time I go through a cohort, I get more of those and I say, I've got to pause and redo my marketing collateral yep. because this, this is such an amazing story. This can do a lot of the work for me. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and right. so I can't, I can't go right back into it because I, I'll have better weapons if I, if I wait. Right. Yep. And circling back with me. Okay. Can you do that? Can I get to a video clip of you saying that? Can I, you know, can I put this <laughs> yeah. as a, you know, italics out the bottom of the blog. So, well, 
I have uh, I have taken a great uh, license in this interview of, of avoiding my question list, but there are questions <laughs> that I specifically want to get to. But I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of condense this into more of a little bit of a rapid fire here at the end because sure. and it's it's my fault, but you know what? It's my show, so I have the. I all have the it's all good, and I, I have just I've really enjoyed just listening to you unpack some of these things, and I know our listeners will as well. But so so give me um, since you started Unreal Collective, what would you say are the one or two biggest pain points that you've encountered? What are the what are the biggest obstacles or struggles that you would? What are the top two? Number one would be my own fear of quote unquote selling myself. Yeah. I think that's common. I've gotten much, much better at that over the last year. Really good. Is this um, asking actually, for a close more or just actually yeah, and, just and even even just getting over the fear of saying, I made a thing. I think it's for you and it costs money. Do you want it? You yeah. know, and and putting it out into the world, realizing that a lot of people are gonna say, Nope. And you're gonna have to like take that and feel it. Yeah. And I've gotten a lot better at dealing with rejection. So but that's still like the number one thing is just like personal fear of rejection. Right. The number two hardest thing is probably cash flow, mm-hmm. because what I do is cyclical. So last year when I did the first paid cohort, we ended because of just how the calendar year fell and when I left CrossCheck. So we ended that first paid cohort in late October, and that had paid my bills. But I knew that to start marketing and to start selling again. I would start what mid November, right mm-hmm. before Thanksgiving, and then we get into a groove until we hit Christmas, and then we hit New Year's. So right. it just didn't it didn't make sense. Even if I got people to agree to that challenging schedule, I didn't think I was setting people up for success. So I had to put a pause until late December when I started marketing, mm-hmm. and I didn't actually start the cohort until February. And so suddenly I had a four month sort of cash flow right. dearth right. that I wasn't planning for. Right. So that was that was challenging. I had a, a, a interview guest about three weeks ago that that their their business is very seasonal, and they ask a very similar question. Like you know, they they're really busy in the summer, and they're it's almost dead in the winter. So I mean, we got some really good feedback from listeners about just you know ideas on on this. And this is this is a similar question, but mm-hmm. it's not exactly because it it does you know some of this is a little bit. I guess predicated on the fact that when you started, when you took that leap, if you'd have started yeah. January one, it might have been a little different than right. if you started in the fall. But right. so let's let me dive into a little bit more in the um, area called I call it Life Quad because it's kind of like four questions that we really want to dive a little deeper into the the guest's psyche here. Um, who do you follow? Who's one person online that you follow really closely that inspires you, and why? So when I first read this, I thought, oh, that's got to be Seth Godin. But then I thought, we both know Seth Godin really well. Let's try to go somewhere unique. So I'm going to give you a second answer. Okay. That's probably the first answer yeah. by far. I mean, the marketing seminar, outside of my personal coach, the marketing seminar is the best money I've ever spent from a value perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's even comparative to Alt-MBA. I think the marketing seminar right. is more valuable than Alt-MBA. Right. The person that I follow online that I really, really respect is Bo Burnham. Bo Burnham is a comedian, and he was one of the first YouTube celebrities, essentially. He was in, I believe, eighth grade, and he had like a keyboard, and he made parody music videos in his attic. 
and blew up on YouTube. Started doing stand-up specials. He's got, I think, three of them out. They're all, like, so funny. But they're also really, really intricate. And he still does a lot of musical humor where he writes, like, really funny, almost, I wouldn't say Weird Al Yankovic uh, style. Yeah, that's because what was going through my mind. It's not, he doesn't, like, just... I'm using parody incorrectly. They are not serious songs, you know. Mm-hmm. They're they're comedic songs, mm-hmm. but they're not a takeoff on another song right. necessarily. They're right. they're like originally written both musically and lyrically, and they're so good and they're so intricate and they're so thoughtful. And the thing that I really like about Bo is he's not, and he could be, he's not someone that has a big online presence. He doesn't want that. To him, his best marketing is going into a hole after every show and working for another three years on his next thing and then putting it out to the world. And it's phenomenal. And so I really, really respect that. And I just think he's incredibly intelligent and super, super creative. And, uh, I, yeah, I respect it a lot. Well, I can assure you this, he's never been brought up before as, as the <laughs> online inspiration. And it might be a while before we, we circle back, but, um, I will put a link to one of his videos in the, in the show notes as well. His latest special was called make happy. And it's super, super good. The one before that, I think, was called What? But Make Happy is so good. And it's on Netflix. I think they both are. Okay. All right. So tell me, a like a, you know, we all have like life quotes that we've taped up by our computer or whatever. What's what's the mm-hmm. one that is kind of, that really kind of drives you? Man, great question. I hadn't, I hadn't prepared for this. There's, there's been a couple, you know, there's, and they've stuck with me for a long time. One being there is no progress without risk. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't steal second base and keep your foot on first. Another is, and I don't know who said that. Another is the time is going to pass. So you might as well make the most of it. And that's kind of this idea of don't get afraid of the w- amount of work that it will take to accomplish something because that time is going to pass anyway, whether you're putting in the time doing that hard work or not. Repeat that second one to me again. That, that last one, the time is going to pass. Yeah. Mm, I want to make sure I get it right. And I can look at, I can look it up. Yeah. It's by, I'm not sure who said it, but it's, it's essentially like, do not fear hard work for the time is going to pass. Anyway. Okay. Okay. So if you could go back now, say 18 months and you're kind of your pre unreal collective startup time, maybe 12 months, six months, eight months, however long it's been. What is one piece of advice that you would give yourself now that you wish you would have known then? Hmm. <laughs> I'm actually really proud with the way I've done this because I've done it from a product management standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I tested it with a beta group. And then I did everything very, very lean. What I've learned about the format is it's really effective to start the program with a a sort of open week, which is just meant to kind of build rapport and let people explore and meet each other. Right. And to close it out with a similar exercise because it feels like there's closure. Um. But, you know, I think what's super paramount, and I've done probably 80% of the job of this that I should be doing, 
is just being really intentional and thoughtful with how the conversation goes week to week and how I'm engaging people and what their experience is. Because early, early on in a product, you want to make sure that your first users, your first customers have a phenomenal experience. Mm. Because they'll either be advocates for you or they won't be. Um, and that early on, you need advocates. So it's it behooves you to spend the extra 10% of time making it an amazing experience as opposed to thinking about the next version, I think. Right. So, so unpack that just a little bit on the, so what's one thing that you do to ensure that if I'm going through Unreal Collective, that I will be more of a positive or an enthusiastic advocate after the fact? This is a really simple thing, but honestly, a lot of it is coming to the call and being enthusiastic myself, Right. being very positive, being very positive, being upbeat. It's also being tougher on people, frankly. A lot of people come in for the accountability. And what I learned and did a lot better job the second time around is they want me to be harder on them to get things done, right? Mm -hmm. For a while, I was just leaning on supportive, like, oh, you didn't get that done? Okay, well, we'll do it next week. Whereas they needed to have a little bit of fear of what I would say if the things that they announced were important for them to get done week to week were not done. Right. You know, you don't you don't you don't hire a physical trainer and go to the gym and expect them to be like, Oh, you're tired? Well, okay, you can go home now. Like you hire a physical <laughs> trainer because they're there to like kick your butt. Yeah. And I'm serving a similar role for people. So I have to ratchet that up a little bit and they they appreciate that. Even though it creates like an awkwardness in the moment. Yeah, you have to create that because then that creates the mechanism for them to want to avoid that awkwardness right. of the moment. Right. I, I love that gym trainer. That's a great analogy of, of what what you're doing with you, with your cohorts. So, as we wrap up today, is there is there anything that I haven't touched on that you think just any any one line wrap up thing that you think would be really helpful to our listeners? And then I'm going to ask you how we can find you online. And definitely. This is a little counterintuitive and I put it in a lot of my newsletters recently and I worry what it will do. But I think it's really important for folks who are listening to make sure you spend time creating stuff. Mm -hmm. I think you are only rewarded in this life for what you produce. Uh, There's no scoreboard of what you consume. And listening to people, learning from people is super valuable to the end of incorporating that knowledge and creating something of your own. So I think it's super important that people make their voice be heard. Like there's never been a better time for sharing your thoughts and your ideas and your opinions and your work. And I think it's a, it would be a shame if, if you weren't doing that. I love that comment you just made that we're scored on what we produce, not what we consume. What a what a great way to end this interview and and uh, Jay tell us tell us how people can find you online what's the what's the best way I would recommend going to jklaus.com I am at jklaus on all things social media but if you enjoyed this interview you'd probably enjoy the newsletter that I write which you can join at jklaus.com and I get that I get that uh, when it's produced and and guys I I am I'm, I'm not saying that because he's sitting here staring at me through my MacBook but <laughs> it is it is superb it's very short it's very concise but it is it is always full of and it's it's raw honesty as well I mean 
if you look at his, his website, one thing, the very, he leads off by saying, oh, by the way, the first thing I tried, I failed miserably at. I mean, <laughs> how, how much more honest and raw can you be, you know? So, uh, but Jay, thank you so much for uh, your time today. And listeners, it's your chance to speak into the uh, pain points that he's, he's listed. And this is one of the unique things about Rising Tide Startups is we, we proactively draw the audience in to, to speak in as a, as a collaborative effort to speak in. And, and uh, like we like to say, all boats rise in a rising tide. Jay, thanks again for your time. Thanks, Kevin.